opposing the government and opposing the Conservatives. I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. And of course, we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any who dissent. Who are the hard left, Chris? Well, we know who the hard left are in the you know, ascendancy I, I, within, the, within the Labour Party who associate with the hard left. You just said that we were right to right wing. The hard left agenda. Printing money, nationalisation without compensation, that's a hard left wing position. Hard sort of left, the hard 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 left, hard left, hard left, the hard left, the hard left, 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 the hard left, the hard left, the hard left, For two days and two fucking nights, we beat the shit out of this guy. I mean, we even stuck ice picks in his balls. You better hope he gives me a fucking name sooner or I'm gonna give him yours, Frank. Yeah, thanks a lot. But he never talked. I know you would have ran it by now. In the end, I had to put his fucking head in a vice. Dogs. Dogs, can you hand me dogs? Listen to me, Anthony. I got your head in a fucking vice. <laughs> You're listening so. to... All right. Hello. You're... <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Hello, you're listening to The Resistance with Keith Olbermann. Russia! <laughs> it's all the Russians. My Russia! 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 Okay. okay. It's all the Russians, man. It is, it is, it is all the Russians. Okay, so sponsored by... I hear that the Russians are behind our podcast as well. <laughs> and now, a word from our sponsor, <laughs> Russia. <laughs> okay, so you're listening to the Real Politic podcast, and today we are discussing Martin Scorsese, the influential American, or should I say, Italian American film director, who is responsible for such classics as Mean Streets, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, The King of Comedy, and other brilliant films. <laughs> the last. <laughs> Too many to list right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Martin Scorsese, <laughs> eh? What a guy! The only yeah. dude who rivals Dennis Healy, the former Labour cabinet minister, for sheer fucking eyebrowiness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Robin Williams called them the caterpillars, I believe, once, and yes, they are. They do resemble caterpillars. They are. A lovely specimen that I would love to rub and, and stroke it if I have if I have the opportunity. God bless his eyebrows. But yeah, <laughs> he's brought us much joy over the years. So anything for Matt. What's that film? Is it Up or whatever with the like the the guy? Yeah, he does look yeah. like uh, uh, the old man from Up, doesn't he? Yeah. Is that based on Martin? I mean, where should, where do we start with Martin Scorsese? Well, how were we first introduced to Scorsese? Yeah, like, that's what's really interesting because he, films, yeah, that we've seen of his. You know, he's been making films since like the late '60s, early '70s. So there's going to be several generations of viewers who would have been introduced to his work through different. Mm. Like, I would say my generation were sort of introduced to him through Goodfellas. Yeah. Newer film watchers are probably going to be introduced to him through 
through the Wolf of Wall Street. That's what's really great about him. He's got films that span various genres and different generations are going to be introduced to him through different works. So, absolutely. What about you guys? What, yeah, what were your uh, first Martin Scorsese film experiences? My first was actually After Hours from 1985. My nice, dad nice. said that he loved the film, so he bought it for me and we watched it together. So, After Hours is Fair good, play. isn't it? It's a very sort of irreverent yes. film. Yeah, yeah, it's not like yeah. too deep or meaningful, but it's just like a nice little romp through the streets of yeah. York, isn't it? Uh, at night. Yeah, like a sort of hangout movie in a way, isn't it? There's an objective, he, he's trying to get home, yeah. but it's kind of like he's getting into these various situations, and it's like, would you call it a black comedy? Yeah. A very oh, yeah, black yeah, yeah, comedy? Yeah, yeah I'd say, yeah. It's, I'd say, it's, yeah, it's probably his most overtly comic film, maybe The Wolf of Wall Street. That's kind yeah. of. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, that's probably his most most i haven't seen new york new york is that his sort of like musical I comedy drama is it? i haven't york, seen it new york either something about oh, like wow. a three hour film that like de niro and liza minnelli singing a lot kind of <laughs> did, didn't attract me really but uh, <laughs> briefly on after hours it also shows scorsese playing around with a number of genres and kind of mixing and matching for example yeah. it has that kind of shaggy dog story feel to it or yeah. like the film noir really where the hero just yes. just has to go on this this impossible set of travails <laughs> you know just kind of gets thwarted at every turn yeah exactly it's a, it's a comedy of farce in a way but yeah, very cleverly done in terms mm. of films that sort of subvert the film noir tropes it's i mean kind of big lebowski-ish i'd say yeah paul hackett our lead is smoking weed and even fucking cheech and chong show up at one point <laughs> yeah i remember when i first watched it and i was like Oh my god, what's Cheech and Chong doing in this? <laughs> they literally appear not long after Ford smokes a joint in the film and then it kind of goes a bit haywire in terms of... Are they of, a couple of criminals? You know, his, his, you know, yeah, there's like a confusion. They keep turning up in like a run-down van robbing apartments in the in the area that, of New York that he's... Because he's hiding from this kind of like... Mob. Uh, this This mob <laughs> who are going after Cheech and Chong. Yeah, he's, he gets confused as the burglar and he ends up in this kind of like basement apartment, isn't it? Where he's met yeah, this uh, yeah, woman. It, how would you describe it's like a sort of bar art setup, isn't it? Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Another film I'd say it's fairly comparable to is Eyes Wide Shut by Stanley Kubrick. In the, it's just, it's yeah, like a guy wandering around the city at night. And, and really not all that much happens, but it all happens to him. Like, and, uh, and both uh, films yeah. sort of hinge a lot on the main character's interaction with women as well. But yeah. I can't remember exactly how in After Hours, whereas with Tom Cruise, it's sort of that he has these highly sort of sexual encounters with people without ever actually having sex in the course yeah. of his yeah. psychosexual yeah. odyssey. After Hours all starts with a date, doesn't it? And it ends with that female artist, but nothing I don't think actually ever happens. Nah, yeah, he bumps into a waitress who has this sort of niche for 60s fashion, and he ends up in her apartment. He also ends up in the apartment of Rosanna Arquette's character and her flatmate, who's doing also like various paper mache sculptures and stuff and yeah he kind of goes into all these various encounters and and yeah doesn't you know things just keep coming up and he he's he's on to the next part of new york where he's being kind of chased around and stuff <laughs> it's great you know probably one of his most like unknown films would you yeah. say it's yeah, kind not of many you know, people mention it because it was what he did in between when he was trying to get the last temptation of christ off the yeah, ground so yeah. 
it was it was something small scale that he was working with yeah so it kind of you know like so, silence what what, what is that. it that people just don't want to give scorsese loads of money to, to do <laughs> yeah. eviscerating examinations of his catholic guilt like, <laughs> like how does he have no form of getting the funding for those films now last temptation of christ is brilliant and i think we it's should get possibly to that one oh, of my yes. favorite of his films actually. oh yeah i think it's one of my favorite yeah films. but yeah. For, first of all i think the first scorsese film i saw was mean streets oh, yeah. which is almost like the pro prototypical Scorsese movie. Actually, it's third ever film, yeah? Yeah, it's his third film. It's fairly similar to Who's That Knocking at My Door, his first film. Harvey Keitel plays a young Italian-American guy from a Catholic background who, rather like Marty himself, from, from New York, who is kind of tempted by organised crime. But the difference is, as well as Harvey Keitel, who, again, gives it his all... Robert De Niro joins the cast in Mean Streets. De Niro plays... Back before we started doing hack rolls all the time. Yeah. This yeah. Was, oh, God, this yeah. Was uh, De Niro was De Niro. You know, he, he was really yeah, yeah, crazy yeah. from way back. So he plays Johnny Boy, John Johnny Boy Cervello, and Harvey Keitel plays Charlie Kappa. And, yeah, great film. And I think I watched it when I was uh, in my early teens. And I think I, I liked that he made heavy use of pop music in his films. Like, there's a scene which I think has Be My Baby by the Ronettes, which is fantastic. Mm. Just making use of that huge Phil Spector wall of sound. There's an amazing scene that kind of introduces Robert De Niro's character properly, set to Jumpin' Jack Flash by the Rolling Stones, which nice. is just one of the coolest nice. things. So it shows Scorsese really making kind of like, as corny as it sounds, kind of like rock and roll movies that have that same sort of countercultural feel. It's a fairly low budget film made for $500,000. And it's just kind of, it's about the streets. It's about working class Italian-American guys in New York, mm. not about big time mobsters. They're just working class guys who are petty criminals and they are sort of on the periphery of the wider organized crime scene. Scorsese mm. is actually <clears throat> in it briefly as a henchman and he gets shot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think either of you have seen it, have you? But I would really nope. recommend you check out. Beat yeah, Street. it's definitely awesome. on the list. It seems like one of his films that it'd be the, the best place to start with his films in terms of the tropes that it handles, and because it's the first major kind of collaboration of him and De Niro, Keitel's yeah. in there, frequent collaborator, and yeah, it just seems like the best. Probably if if anyone who's completely oblivious to Martin Scorsese, it would seem like the best place to start. But I still need to see Mean Streets. That's the only thing. But I, but well, you, you well, you've you've won me over, sir. So I will, I will check it out. So in the seventies, he did a film called Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, which I haven't actually seen. But it's supposed to be almost a kind of rebuke to people who said, "Oh, Scorsese, he's just a kind of macho filmmaker who makes movies about." guy's concerns it's got a female lead ellen bernstein is a widow who travels with her preteen son across the southwestern united states and harvey keitel appears in it and in fact jodie foster who would have been very young in her like early teens at that point appears in it mm. and of course she would go on to star in his next film taxi driver yes yeah absolutely yeah 
I don't think it was like the first I saw of his was Goodfellas, but yeah, Taxi Driver probably would have been the one that I would have followed up with. His kind of very dirty, grungy New York set film about a a, a I I am leaning to say fascist. <laughs> when he's talking about you know cleaning up the streets for scum, the cunts, the dogs. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it 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 is um kind of fascistic. It's about a very violent guy who's just got this kind of untapped obsession with yeah in in, in him in him and but but also needs a sense of purpose and has a sense of duty and he eventually becomes very protective of a teenage prostitute played by jodie foster who in a brilliant performance is being exploited by a sleazy pimp Played by Harvey Keitel, who I did not recognise <laughs> yeah. upon the. It was long hair, isn't it? Yeah, he's got really long hair and kind of just wearing like slobby <laughs> clothing for his most. <laughs> I think it's, yeah, he's got like really, so it could be, I think, actually, yeah. Problematic or what? Um, and, and eventually, bloody things happen. Oh, yeah, it's a pretty brutal, like, I love how kind of, like, slow and drawn out it is, just how every single action in terms of how they're struggling for, like, the gun and stuff, and just, it's all in very tightly confined corridors, that final confrontation. It's so, like, agitating to watch. How he directs and films a lot of his violent scenes are always, you know, that's, yeah, that's, that ending is... And Scorsese actually was required to change the coloration of that scene in order to basically make make the blood less kind of bright red just so it looked less sort of immediately shocking he had to kind of dull it a bit so that might account for the kind of dim claustrophobic feel of that scene but it's worth remembering that there are also some phenomenally beautiful parts to taxi driver some of the shots of the new york city with yeah of the new york city some of the shots of new york city <laughs> set to that incredibly how how would i describe yeah, it that, 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 yeah that the, the bernard herman yeah, score isn't it the very kind of yeah score the lights of the city darting in and out of focus as his car rolls down the street i think you know there are some really really beautiful bits in taxi driver perversely so but he finds Absolutely. he finds beauty in the grime and grit and the neon lights of the city, which is something of a recurring theme in his films. I think he's a very urban director. Yeah, there's certain directors who are just kind of synonymous with New York. So like Scorsese, Woody Allen, Woody Spike, Allen, <laughs> Sidney Lumet. Yeah. yeah, they have all made films that are just kind of. New York to the core, and quite often Scorsese not so much because I mean uh, his film set in Palestine <laughs> was pretty good. But a lot of these directors, when you take them out of New York, they seem kind of adrift. Like Woody Allen's weird British films, where, <laughs> where like yeah. just the, the way people talk in his British films are so, it's so surreal. Like just like. You know, right? <laughs> Yeah, I, I can't I can't even impersonate it. It's so bizarre. I can't even begin to get into that. 
um, like match point and stuff. But yeah, Scorsese is actually in Taxi Driver. Yeah, he's, he's got a quite a significant cameo in it and plays one of Travis Bickle's customers who kind of asks him to pull out outside of Scorsese's character's apartment. And he's just like... See, see, look up there. See, look in that window. It's my wife. She's getting fucked. <laughs> it's just, it's just, I'm not going to go in there and I'm going to kill him. And, it's, and, that, and that's Scorsese's cameo in it. It's just, it's just, and it's just him. It's just this kind of really... And then there's just De Niro sat in the front like, okay. That's okay. Just his like, lack of expression. Uh, lack of reaction. Yeah. I, I, I think it, it is a bit of a y director cameo. But on the other hand... It's less egregious than when like Tarantino pops up for a similar. Oh yeah. In, uh, in, in, yes. In, 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 <laughs> Chucks the N word about. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Taxi Driver, I'd say, is one of the greatest films ever made, and I'm yeah. interested in this kind of like yeah fascistic dimension to it because I yeah because really yeah. given too much thought to the kind of politics of Travis Bickle before. I know yeah. he, he's. I've dis- heard the comparison before, even though I've never seen the film. One of his acts is essentially he wants to assassinate a politician, yeah. uh, Senator mm. Palantine, who's played by Leonard Harris in the film. Mm. I was going to say Albert Brooks, but he plays a completely different character. He plays. It's cool that Albert <laughs> he plays, Brooks is he, in it, though. And he thinking... is. He works as one of the political workers, doesn't he, in, in, on the Palantine campaign yeah. and, and stuff. Yeah, and the great yeah. uh, it- Italian-American character actor Victor Argo, who's just got one of those faces, like <laughs> just just like. <laughs> Big kind of like squidged up load of putty, and he's in like every fucking Scorsese film, yeah. every fucking Woody Allen film, every like Abel Ferrara <laughs> and Jim Jarmusch movie. All the New York directors, basically, uh, a, a great actor. Mm. And a lot of the kind of would, politics yeah. of the film are about this sort of post-Vietnam disillusionment, about because uh, Travis yeah. Bickle is a vet. He, he, not as in he looks after sick animals. He's <laughs> he's come home from Nam and like so many uh, is is just completely dehumanized and probably suffering from PTSD. I think that is that's that's mm. sort of implied. I think subtext. Yeah. But it did have real life political ramifications in that John Hinckley Jr who I believe was kind of obsessed oh, with Jodie shit. Foster and stalked her. He attempted to assassinate Ronald Reagan in 1981, and unfortunately, he did not succeed. <laughs> um, so, I had a feeling you'd be like, ah, oh, and sadly, he failed. This, <laughs> this podcast is now 100% unequivocally pro-John Hinckley Jr. Okay, okay I retract we are now on government watch list, folks. I retract. As if we weren't already. <laughs> I, yeah, I, yeah, come on. We're communists, still. <laughs> we like, our, our last episode was called Hashtag J20 International Flag Burning Day. But, no, all right, I take that that you support his stalking of Jodie Foster because we do not endorse stalking on this show. Stalking is no. bad. However, the Reagan... We... we, 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 we... <laughs> It's usually you getting stalked by people, isn't it, on Twitter, Jackie? I don't think we should give give that uh, fucker any more publicity. Oh yeah. Uh, Mention mention his at or anything, 
but and yeah. it's but it's de- come on, it's definitely a guy. Like it's, it's only some fucking yeah. weird basement dweller is going to be that sad. But there were a series of tweets, but he didn't tweet about anything other than how much he hates me from between the twenty third of December and I think the the nineteenth of January. So it's almost a month oh of just word. continuous tweets about me. <laughs> I haven't had a look. That, yeah, that you certainly got to spend what was it months just posting nothing but I hate you. This random yeah. person on the internet. <laughs> no, I I understand the the sort of want to just troll some fucker. Like fair fair play if the guy wants to do it, but I'm not going to read it. Like <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to be seeing any of the stuff. So if, if he wants to just scream into the ether about me, fair. I understand the impulse to do a bit of online abuse. Yeah. Like you know that's always been one of the ways in which i've disagreed with jeremy corbyn he says you shouldn't abuse blairites on the internet i say (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I have a different perspective (laughs) on that thing so it's i do feel like there's more useful places to abuse them like real life (laughs) i love that story about the young labor activist whose weekend was ruined at the last young labor (laughs) conference because somebody called all their friends Blairite nonces. <laughs> <laughs> That's a quote, by the way, guys. Just the brilliant... Not um... I, wouldn't, I wouldn't, use, wouldn't use language like that, would I, guys? No, no. <laughs> no, no, you would never, never, never. <laughs> <laughs> it may... <laughs> a trusted comrade for doing so anyway so <laughs> now on don't worry we're not going to go all well on you and dosh you from now um yeah are nonces such as the president yeah. of the united states <laughs> <laughs> yeah that young labor conference must have been one hell of a weekend <laughs> if it was you know if you're coming away with all your friends labeled as blairite nonsense <laughs> i actually joined the facebook group for that london young labor and my god uh <laughs> And some of those people wonder why young people don't want to get involved with politics. I mean, look at the, and look at yourselves. It's just like you, you. When someone comments something, you just attack them immediately, and then you wonder why so many young people don't want to get involved with politics. It's just so mind-boggling. It's just the passive aggressiveness in ev- any debate on that page. London Young Labour promoting the Labour movement. You know, we're all very welcoming here. If there <laughs> is an actual left faction to London Young Labour, which I mean, I hope so because i'm hoping our candidate gets elected at the agm on saturday shout out to beth foster og but uh, yeah they they don't really post in the group (laughs) like if there is a left (laughs) well they can sort of see why in lyl they're certainly keeping quiet about it because it is just unremitting kind of hey don't call me a tory why are you calling me a tory anyway i think the union should be crushed we should mute russia (laughs) and we need to get all the immigrants out (laughs) (laughs) i remember when you were going on about that when it was like corbyn was kind of like everyone was like oh so is corbyn gonna be sort of keen for more like is he going to capitulate to the shadow cabinet a bit more on this and then like wasn't there less loads of them going yes yes we it's it's not racist to think 
that controls on immigration is re- you know it, and it was it's like i remember you were showing me some of like just and it was just like wow it, you would not expect this coming from a young labor group. there's one very shocking one very strange guy with a homemade 4.5 percent banner on his avatar uh you know 4.5 percent is the share of the vote that liz kendall got in the 2015 leadership contest um and and for all people who extol power as the ultimate virtue i've got to say some blairites seem very proud of the fact that she got such a minuscule amount of votes <laughs> it's like the 48 percent isn't it we are the 4.5 percent <laughs> fighting <laughs> for <laughs> for liz kendall's kind of socialism <laughs> Well, I don't think she'd like to associate with socialism, but uh, <laughs> her interesting kind of socialism with her love of uh, getting on top of tanks and stuff. <laughs> where is that? Where's that from? That picture where she's like, or she's dressed in army gear and she's on a like, or she's like she's dressed in some sort gun. of army gear. Or she's, it, uh, that's it's it. From yeah. A, like, is, is it, am I thinking about something? Like, I don't, yeah, don't know if it's RAF. Cool. Some kind of military training day she went along to. And in similar news, actually, uh, the ultra Blairite Labour MP. Tom Blenkinsop, who apparently doesn't even find time to turn up to his constituency AGMs. Oh, Tom God. Blenkinsop has joined the Territorial Army. Oh, really? <laughs> he's, he's still an MP. He hasn't resigned his seat like those other wankers or anything. He, he's, he's staying in there, apparently doing the bare minimum of work in his constituency, whilst also being a member of the army. I reckon he's probably just... just gagging for war with russia like so <laughs> do, you, do you remember when ben bradshaw said that russia had rigged the eu referendum by like hacking the vote somehow i'm pretty sure it was paper ballots but all right yeah it was for me <laughs> yeah yes there was significant russian influence at my polling station i can tell you that for a fact that was you look wasn't it tom <laughs> the agent of russia <laughs> Our next guest, Luke Akerst. <laughs> Russia. Russia. That's all he says for the entire episode. Russia. So what do you think of this film? Russia. He's screaming Russia in Luke I'm Akerst. sure that even liberals in America don't think that Russia literally hacked the voting machines. They just think that he had an undue influence on the election. I think uh, some of them think that. Yeah, and maybe some of the crazier ones. I but, think uh, Eric Garland thinks that. The game theory guy. Yeah, yeah. Guys. Maybe. Just because he says Russia, Russia, Russia. Guys, it's time for some game theory. <laughs> I mean, like you said yourself, Yaya, he doesn't appear to know what game theory is. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what game theory is, so that's why I... I just felt like a massive rant that didn't have anything to do with actual game theory, which is just, you know, an idea of probabilities and what, how... Like the prisoner dilemma. Have you heard of the prisoner dilemma? Nah. Where no. uh, well, I won't go into it, but that, know you know that's a classic ranks. example of game theory, and what he was doing was a rant, not. not <laughs> it was just this kind of like <laughs> just frothing at the mouth, like Russia hiding <laughs> every corner, kind of like like it, and a load of it was just him like throwing shade at Glenn Greenwald, the journalist for the Intercept. Um, I mean, it it was absolutely bizarre. <laughs> Start to finish. Did he attack Chelsea Manning in it? I can't even remember. I remember a lot of liberals were kind of pissed with Obama when he announced he was going to yeah. fight Manning. 
Oh, fucking hell. Jesus That's Christ. Cool. <laughs> Before we get back Shit, to Marty, can I, can, can I, can I, can <laughs> I, <laughs> that's our politics for the week, folks. Um, nah. the um, direction of our conversation, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Russia's behind Definitive as evidence on tape. I was wanted to quickly ask one thing. Liz Kendall and what was the name of this MP who's joined the territorial army? Uh, Tom. Tom Say it again, sorry. He's the guy who blocks everyone. Do you? Block <laughs> sorry, Brian go ahead. Lewis and Richard Burke from the <laughs> cabinet. Really? Uh, yes, uh, he's, yes, he's absolutely. Me as well. Brilliant. I've, uh, you know, I've, I've <laughs> <heard>. <laughs> I'm surprised. Yeah. You're just as important as the shadow cabinet. Yeah. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> I was gonna ask him and Liz Kendall. Do you reckon they're fans of Marine A? <laughs> 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 it's the scoop that I've got to break on air. So Dan Jarvis, the, the, the Labour MP and former army soldier <laughs> if that of a military man dan jarvis a former army soldier from the army he follows an account on twitter and it's worth bearing it in mind the wider context of the dan jarvis thing which is that he's this guy who is built up by people and the sort of like guardian wing of politics like the moderate center left as a kind of future mm. labor leader a challenger to corbyn at some point maybe even though he just seems like the most like the last yeah yeah i mean <laughs> who knows if he'd do better than owen smith i think he's more right wing than owen smith probably a bit less Would sexist be. than owen smith he just seems like a complete dullard like i didn't even ever hear his voice until the other day and he's just like yeah we need to have uh, you know, mild reforms on the day of trump's muslim ban he came out and said we need to listen to people's legitimate concerns about immigration so dan jarvis is a piece of uh... shit in fact in addition to saying that that amazing bit of timing dan jarvis said that donald trump's muslim ban was a mistake and that he wouldn't do it Something like that, you know, the strong leadership of Dan Jarvis there. Um, but but basically, he follows an account on Twitter which is called Justice for Sergeant Blackman, and Sergeant Blackman is also known as Marine A, and he basically just like pumped a load of bullets into some civilian in Afghanistan a few years ago and got court-martialed by the army. He's a, a, a British soldier. Since we recorded this episode, I've done a bit of research on Marine A, and I've realised that it wasn't, in fact, a civilian that he shot dead. It was a wounded Taliban combatant who was, by that point, due to being wounded, a prisoner of war. And I also heard the audio for the first time, and holy shit is Marine A guilty. Like, holy fuck. Fuck. Like, he even admits to having broken the Geneva Convention afterwards. Anyway. I, and, I remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he contests. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think his defence is that when he fired a load of bullets into this person, the person was already dead. So... <laughs> Oh, I, I think he's a murderer, really? yeah. or he's just the kind of guy who likes to pump a load of bullets into a corpse. It's not a great song. Either way, it's <laughs> fucked up. Yeah, so all the fash 
really want to free this guy. Like, you can easily identify whether somebody is an outright fascist on Twitter if they have a <laughs> justice for Marine A avatar. But yeah, Dan Jarvis follows this account, which is interesting. I wonder if he knows Marine A from back in the day. They used to just take it in turns, uh, you know, oh, is that a corpse or is it a person? Oh, well. <laughs> Don't know, shoot it. <laughs> Only one Christ. way to find out. <laughs> Did you ever, do you ever think where they go, is it? Do you ever think they ever had like, you know, when I shot that dead corpse earlier on, it was dead, right? Yeah, let's there's, there's, there's pretend it's dead. But do you do you think that was normal for me to do that? Do you think that should, should I have done that? Yeah, yes, you know, it was dead. You know, it's not like you know, yeah, it's all right. You know, Dan Jarvis supports Marine A, but um, yeah, okay, let's let's finish. How off. did this? Like, how did this lead here? <laughs> It went from kind of the fash elements of Travis Bickle to controls on immigration to oh, Liz Kendall okay. to yeah, <laughs> it's it's all linked. It's all linked. It makes sense, really. So Taxi Driver, brilliant film, probably up there with one of his best of his catalogue. Yeah, like and, that. The, watch it. and the second in a series of collaborations with Robert De Niro. So following that, yes. he did New York, New York with De Niro, which we've established we haven't seen. Raging Bull, another brilliant mm. film. Yes. But weirdly, I don't know. I don't know if I have much to say about Raging Bull. It's never kind of it's connected. been talked about a lot. Yeah. yeah, it's it's hard to add much. I mean, it's written by uh, Paul Schrader, which he he also wrote um, the Last Temptation of Christ, which we'll come to. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's important to note that this was the film essentially where this was his last like kind of shot. At, you know, because uh, he was dealing with substance abuse issues at the time yeah. he was almost like he was he was near death at some points during the project so this was i like to see raging ball is kind of his like he he knew this was his last shot and he's just putting it all in there and it's yeah it's it's great but it's been discussed so much like yeah. if you go to a film school it'll be it will be the film you, yeah. but it will be literally will be the scorsese film that you'll be shown yeah, no, it, it, um, it was for us i think <laughs> it was it was yes how he shoots the boxing sequences are, are intriguing like a lot i love during the actual fighting scenes like using trick photography and kind of in actually enlarging the boxing ring to make it seem more kind of open and how he plays with sound as well during those scenes yeah which is actually an because how in some of the boxing scenes the sound disappears he uses that technique in a few of his films like the last temptation of christ as well and yeah. stuff mm. and it would also be his first collaboration with another signature scorsese actor joe pesci oh, oh yes nice. I think is another New York Italian American friend of his from years back, like De Niro, like Keitel. And he gives a powerful performance as Joey, who is Jake LaMotta, the boxer's really quite loving brother, who mm. I mean, tries yeah, his best to save yeah. him from himself, but can't do it. And that final scene mm. where um, LaMotta is just alone in a prison cell and he just starts punching. He starts hitting the wall because oh, that's yes. the only way he can express himself. That is a brilliant scene. So that's a great film. And yes, Scorsese was enduring extensive substance abuse issues in the years preceding that using a heavy amount of cocaine and in that time he directed a film called the last waltz which i, I don't know if either of you have seen the last waltz uh, no, no i haven't seen the last waltz but it's a great film about the final concert by the band you know yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah yeah the band <laughs> yeah i'm sure i'm sure like when they were first about in the 19 
in the 1960s, it was a funny thing. Like, oh, you know the band? Oh, who? Like, those things almost like The Who. You're like, yeah, yeah, the band called The Who, I get it. But, but yeah, the band had been on the road for years and they were worn out and they kind of wanted to call it quits. Although it turns out that it was Robbie Robertson, their guitarist and principal songwriter, who produced the film. He was the one who really wanted to do it. The other members of the band wouldn't have minded staying together. Uh, Richard Manuel, for example, I think was really unmoored without the band. He basically uh, succumbed to alcoholism and died. Uh, I think he might have shot himself, actually, but he was drinking like a massive amount of whiskey every day. And yeah, he killed himself in 1983. In fact, the tragic thing about The Last Waltz is that Richard Manuel, because of the keyboard setup, is obscured for almost the entire film. There's shit in front of him the whole fucking time and you hardly see him. But... Yeah, it's a great film. It's got guest appearances by Bob Dylan, who the band made their bones playing with, as well as Ronnie Hawkins. Um, Ringo Starr appears. Muddy Waters appears. Joni Mitchell uh, does a great version of her song Coyote. Uh, Eric Clapton appears and is as fucking boring as ever. Like, we get it. You like blues. Interesting that you seem to be so yeah. fond of blues, but seem to <laughs> also be such a virulent fucking racist. Um, at, at the same, that, that Clapton ran from, uh, in fact, the same year. Yep. As the last waltz 1976 where he went off oh he's made britain white again whatever just yeah. despicable for a man who made his career ripping off black music in the most tedious kind of technically proficient by the numbers kind of way uh, although mm. i would say that up until like the sort of early mid 70s clapton was a really gifted songwriter uh, he hasn't made anything of consequence in many years but um <laughs> Yeah, this film has got all those guest stars in, some some really storming performances from the band, and there was apparently an extraordinary amount of uh, <laughs> of cocaine use backstage yeah. at this film. <laughs> Robbie Robertson, who, as I say, produced the film, was kind of making it in cahoots with Scorsese and sort of shutting out the rest of the band because they were like coke buddies. So they'd just get absolutely <laughs> plastic work on this film. Yeah, and, and so Neil Young came along and <laughs> he, he <laughs> in the festivities, uh, as Neil is, is wont to. Uh, he, yeah, and Neil was having such a good time that Robbie Robertson and the producers had to shell out like an incredible amount of money for this cutting edge digital editing technology to edit. Uh, like a huge chunk of coke off Neil's nose for his performance <laughs> helpless <laughs> uh, well I, I think I mean Scorsese and it's called The Last Waltz it's supposed to be this kind of grand celebration of the band's career and it really is very kind of elegiac and kind of kind, kind of beautiful in a lot of ways uh, so Ooh. yeah I'd nice. say that's a Scorsese film to watch even if it is a kind of sort of wanking off Robbie Robertson whilst <laughs> massive lines kind of kind of film. One final note about Robbie Robertson's egomania and megalomania throughout the making of The Last Waltz. So the setup in the band was that Richard Manuel, the piano player, Rick Danko, the bassist, and Levon Helm, the drummer, did the singing. And they 
were great at these amazing three-part harmonies. Robbie Robertson, who was lead guitarist, although he did write a lot of the songs, including the lyrics, and Garth Hudson, the organ player, they didn't really sing. But in the last waltz, <laughs> Robbie Robertson extensively overdubbed powerful vocal performances by himself <laughs> onto many many of the tracks which <laughs> perfect for the album, you know? <laughs> and, but yeah neil's great in it joni's great in it when you can fucking hear them over robbie robertson the rest of the band <laughs> some great performances even if you can't see richard manuel so check out the last waltz and that that's just um one of uh, Scorsese's quite actually extensive documentary filmography, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I don't think I've seen any of them, actually. Really? Uh, Tom, yeah, I... you said you've seen one, haven't you? I think I've seen... I'm pretty sure I've seen his Rolling Stones documentary, which he did... Was it in 2011, Eight. was it? He did that? 2008, yeah. And it's it's sort of quite good to watch because you get to see a bit of Marty in the documentary as well, yeah. kind of hustling to try and get it shot in his way. Yeah. And, the, of course, the members of the band are quite, he like, hesitant. Like, it, it's great to see Marty in front of the camera trying to get his documentary down and stuff and, and, the, and the Stones themselves not quite always playing <laughs> to how he likes it because, of course, Marty is a big perfectionist well, and the Stones are not always going to be the most lenient <laughs> to his ideas. <laughs> but it, there's this opening sequence yeah. to shine a light, which is just so blatantly staged, where Scorsese's running around just like incredibly <laughs> busy and he's just like, oh, you know, we need to get everything together. It's three minutes till showtime. Where's Keith? I can't see Keith. <laughs> all, this, all this like blatantly fictionalized nonsense it's basically yeah his little director cameo in the film just like yeah, in taxi yeah. driver when he turns up to talk about murdering his wife like it's, it's that Sorry, interesting ahead. kind of stylistic facet of shine a light is that whenever the camera cuts to a particular member of the rolling stones their instrument grows more prominent in the mix so if it cuts to heath his guitar lines, yeah, they, they come to the forefront of the sound mix. Same with Ronnie Wood. Mix vocals kind of leap right at you with the cameras following him. So that can result in a bit of a kind of like a slightly sort of jumbled sound, but it's definitely an interesting approach. Yeah, uh, yeah. You, I've never seen that see, kind of thing. Yeah, if you want to see what each individual stone is doing. Cool. I'm surprised he. Uh, yeah, I'd reckon. I'd recommend checking out Shine Light. I was going to say, I, I wonder because of course he's done a few music uh, musical documentaries. Of course, he's done the one he's done the Last Waltz featuring the band. Yeah. Uh, he's done his Stones documentary. He's done one on George Harrison. Yeah, that, that, like, uh, I I always wanted him to do one on the Clash, yeah, like because he's a big yeah. fan of the Clash, <laughs> and of course the Clash features in the film we'll probably talk about next, which is the King of Comedy and a little cameo. But he was really into that emergence of British punk at the time and. That coming over from london into new york in the late 70s and saying. early 80s he, he's a rock and roll director he makes rock oh, and yeah roll. big time like, after got... hours is totally oozing with that sort of uh, and from what yeah. bits of, i've seen of taxi driver as well very punk yeah. as well as kind of corny Absolutely. as it sounds he's got that kind of edge of attitude that the stones have about them and i think they're his favorite band aren't they 
he uses yeah, the stones in so many of his films, in Gimme Shelter especially. And uh, I would really recommend his documentary No Direction Home, which is about Bob Dylan. Ah, and cool. it's got the distinction of being authorised by Dylan and actually containing some new interviews with him. For me, I, I'm a little disappointed that it only goes up to 1966, which is... Dylan in the 60s has been covered extensively, and I would really mm. like to see this kind of approach of extensive scrutiny applied to, uh, I mean, say, like his Rolling Thunder review period in the 70s, or uh, I would like to see that kind of scrutiny applied to his Christian period, where he got yeah. heavily into like <laughs> fire and brimstone, they're all going to hell, kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> There's one track which I quite like on one of his gospel albums. It's I think it's called Property of Jesus, and he's just basically like saying everything is the property of Jesus, and if you don't, think, <laughs> then you've got a heart of stone. It's like <laughs> his, his Christian <laughs> albums are so like you know like you deserve to fucking burn if you don't believe this stuff. There's some great music on them, but they're very Westboro Baptist Church. <laughs> Oh god. <laughs> lovely, lovely. But I'm pretty sure like in, at some point since the 90s he's become Jewish again as he, he was originally. I think he might have gone back to I, I did I didn't know he'd uh, gone to his roots. Well, I'm not sure because he, he put out a Christmas album a couple of years ago which is great. Bob like growling his way through all the Christmas classics. It's got like here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus right down Santa Claus lane. <laughs> and, and it's worth saying when he sings his own songs, like his old songs live, he does just kind of stutter through them, like, How many roads can a man walk down before you can call him a man? But he, he has got, he has actually got <laughs> still quite a tuneful voice, which is in evidence in all his Sinatra covers he's been doing recently. And Dylan's putting out a triple album of Sinatra covers. Yeah, <laughs> I saw that leaving. I was gonna, I was waiting for like, a moment to bring that up. Yeah, like, so, just for him just going, you know what, I'm gonna just do this because I'm Bob Dylan and I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> so bear in mind, his last two studio albums were also of Sinatra covers. So this is his but oh, he's going to have like oh, five God. records worth of Dylan doing these classics. <laughs> but I think he may at some point recently have gone back to Judaism. He's definitely a supporter of the state of Israel, although obviously many yeah. Christians are. But likewise, many Jewish people also sort of celebrate Christmas to some extent. So I reckon Bob's probably, he's got a lot of like kids and grandkids. Maybe some of them are Jewish, some of them are Christian. But he's yeah. definitely a religious guy. He's definitely got faith, so he probably varies. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so enough enough uh, music talk for now. You Until we start <laughs> our political music podcast, that is. <laughs> <laughs> the offshoot of real politics. Yeah, real. <laughs> that's, aren't there reels as well in... <laughs> no, it'd be real. Uh, it'd be... Reels of pain. <laughs> we wanted to talk about the king of comedy which was the film that you followed raging bull with and this is i mean for me 
obviously taxi driver is some tough competition raging bull de niro went to incredible physical lengths for that film putting oh. on a huge amount of weight which he's never fully lost since really i mean he's just always bit he was he was like a very skinny young guy but he has always just been a bit kind of like squatter like since since the 80s uh, <laughs> and yeah it's a natural part of growing old that your, your look changes but yeah, i've heard yeah. people <laughs> attribute that to raging bull which he both got incredibly muscly and then very fat for but following that he did the king of comedy where he plays a oh. weird loser called rupert pupkin yeah who, rather like a certain twitter account uh, <laughs> yeah a certain prominent left twitter figure uh, you know, he's obsessed with this talk show host <laughs> obsessed yeah. with almost like a certain <laughs> podcast host in in real life and, yeah uh, <laughs> this guy really really wants to be jack frame i mean he really really <laughs> be, um, be uh jerry langford who's played by the asshole talk show host jerry lewis in a, a, a <laughs> fantastic performance lewis is just perfectly suited to the role of this fucking yeah he just wants to be left alone and is irritated every time pupkin tries to get his foot in the door yeah he shows you the not wholly sympathetic but definitely human side of some light entertainment shit bag sleaze bag mm, yeah but it's a great film isn't it with sandra bernard oh. giving a similarly balls out performance to de niro as another obsessive stalker who together <laughs> they hatch a plan to kidnap langford in yeah. order for pupkin to get his 15 minutes of fame while she gets to look after him <laughs> after langford exactly yeah de niro's rupert pupkin is both one of the most irritating characters to watch in the film but also you can't help but feel like really bad for him yeah. as well but one minute you're just like god this guy just does not give up and then you like sort of as it kind of rolls in towards the finale when he's got jerry lewis kind of hostage and he's breaking his way into the studio to do his stand-up set you kind of like it's that kind of final sort of victory for yeah. him and it's but yeah it's he's kind of like, it's yeah, it's it's, it. it's stick it to these <laughs> fucking <laughs> And yeah it's a really yeah yeah even though he's going to be you know likely rejected by them it's kind of a little victory for him which is really kind of fulfilling after all the shit you see him go through even if he is quite irritating in his ultimate quest to get in on that comedy scene and stuff mm. yeah but yeah again it's one that isn't known by many his other kind of black comedy and it is up there challenging goodfellas and taxi drivers certainly absolutely and i think uh, yeah in a few more years i think people will go back to it a bit more and realize that it is one of his best and following after you know his last shot that was that was raging bull it's uh it, yeah i think it's one of his all-time classics personally cameos by the clash yeah, as well yeah, the absolute boys <laughs> I, I'd say I prefer it to raging bull it's i think it's really i just i think i use this very inarticulate phrase earlier but it's just a head trip of a film yeah this guy just driving and driving at these incredible as in just not remotely credible kind of goal <laughs> like he, he wants <laughs> he really wants to kind of be a celebrity but he's just consummately mediocre that's the thing when he does his performance at the end on tv he's not even that bad 
it's just by the numbers mainstream comedy. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah, so it's great basically point, these yeah. people who internalize pop culture to such an extent that they know all its beats, all oh, its yeah. um, mores, <laughs> but they don't have a distinct kind of style of their own. They're all like, yeah, yeah. to the table. But these people feel such an entitlement to kind of be the next big thing. So I think it is a or really. Britain's cool. Got Talent type of uh, culture, I yeah. guess. Yeah. yeah, it's a pointed satire more so now than ever. And mm. Scorsese also has a cameo in it as Man in Van. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the Clash accredited as Street Scum. <laughs> I know. Like I'm sure they were proud of that. <laughs> yeah, they were like, yeah, cheers, Marty. <laughs> they would have been down for that. It's one of those blink and you'll miss them yeah. moments as well. They're like kind of in the corner of a frame, like leaning up against the wall. I think it's like a street scene and it's like in daylight and you've you got to really kind of look out for them, otherwise you'll miss them. Yeah. It's just Mick Jones, Joe Strummer, Paul Simonon, and I swear there's like, there's Don Letts in there yeah, as Don well. Letts, I think Cosmo he's Vinyl, Pearl Harbor, yeah. and Ellen Foley. And additionally, Scorsese's father, his daughter, his lawyer, <laughs> who plays Jerry Langford's <laughs> lawyer, and his mother are all in it. And Scorsese actually appears twice in the film because he also appears as the director of the Jerry Langford show, where he's he's not hard to spot in that role. I don't remember him as Man in Van. <laughs> There's also an actress in the film called Diane Abbott. <laughs> no relation. I'm oh, sure. is that? Okay. It, it's <laughs> Diane, spelt with an H after the A, which is bizarre, fucking America. Oh. <laughs> what do you say, bro? <laughs> What's that? weird about Yair? Honestly, <laughs> do, 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 you, do you fucking do, do you say uh, brother a lot in America, Yair? No. <laughs> Mate, I don't, maybe I'm a dirtbag left. I, I, I have completely anglicised. Like <laughs> friends right, over there barely recognise me. Okay, so we've already talked about after hours. Have any of us seen The Color of Money? No, that's his sort of, like, spiritual sequel to The Player, is it? Which starred Paul Newman back in the early 60s, was it? Is that the name of the film, The Player? That was originally kind of a sequel uh, to? About the, about the pool player? The, the pool player? The Hustler, that's it, The Hustler. There we go, that's it. He does have a cameo as himself in Robert Altman's Hollywood satire, The Player. But, right. but yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen The Colour of Money. I'm sure, sure Paul Newman's good now. I like, I like Paul Newman. Oh, John Turturro. Tom Cruise is in there as, as well. Uh, I think his only collaboration with Tom Cruise, probably. Oh, I think. yeah, I, I think it is. And also, Iggy Pop appears, apparently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> has two cameos, one walking his dog and one playing pool. But weirdly, I mean, the main opinion, Kieran's actually seen it, so it's a shame we haven't got him here. Yeah. That's our new member of the Real Politic family, Kieran Morris. Follow him at Hipster Scumbag. But <laughs> actually, my auntie told me that The Colour of Money is the most sexist film she's ever seen, and she hates it. And it's the least favourite film ever. I don't know why, but oh. there you go, I haven't seen it. Is this an auntie who's generally up on her film knowledge? No, it's a different one. Uh. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Last Temptation of Christ is Scorsese's film that he spent the best part of the 80s trying to make. Harvey Keitel, according to Wikipedia, got a Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Supporting Actor, which is not... Yeah, he plays Judas in the film, doesn't that he? Yeah. fucking bullshit. Yeah, I... What? <laughs> so, the film stars Willem Dafoe as Jesus Christ. And, sorry, that's not as Jesus Christ. <laughs> sorry. It, it, <laughs> that was probably the response of people when they first heard that Willem Dafoe was going to be playing Jesus Christ. Like, <laughs> what? Willem Jesus Christ? <laughs> 
Defoe is brilliant. It's an incredibly kind of passionate yeah. human performance. And yeah. I'd say it's a film that actually made me respect Jesus more. Yeah. The story of Jesus, but him having human foibles, human temptation. Yeah, absolutely. He's a much trajectory. more humanistic Jesus. Yeah, his trajectory yeah. does become more incredible and more impressive. And in fact, I really disagree with the Golden Raspberry Awards, who do kind of seem like a bunch of wankers, actually, from what I've seen generally. Yeah. Yeah. I disagree about Harvey Keitel's performance. I think it's slightly incongruous. But on the other hand, I really like that the yeah. Judas is kind of like this cross between a no-holds-barred socialist revolutionary <laughs> who wants the emancipation of the people. Yeah. And and he's so kind of driven with that. He's like, hey, Jesus, I'm going to mm. fucking kill you if you don't overthrow the world. That's how... <laughs> he's always threatening. So it literally opens, doesn't it? How it's just him going, you're a disgrace. Yeah. Going into like kind of you're a disgrace. Yeah. You're a disgrace to your family. Jesus has got to in this film be suspecting that Judas might betray him because he is constantly talking about killing him. <laughs> However, <laughs> Judas is kind of portrayed as a cross between this kind of firebrand socialist revolutionary and one of Harvey Keitel's classic Italian-American gangsters. <laughs> so it's a great take on the role. There's various yeah. other brilliant performances in that film, such as... Yeah, your boy Harry Dean Stanton, good. who's in every film, seemingly. Yeah, Harry Dean Stanton is in it. I didn't hear what Yaya said there. I was just saying, I, I quite like... There's, there's a Satan character, isn't there? And I thought that oh, was isn't, quite... it, isn't it a little girl? Yeah, I, um, I can't rightly. He's depicted as being like a, like a flame, and then oh, yeah, 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 yeah. kind of he appears in the form of a young girl at the very end, showing him yeah. his life if he was to marry Mary Magdalene and raise a family and stuff. Yeah, yeah it's there's a whole kind of yeah, that's kind of five minute alternate reality yeah. while he's on the cross. Yeah. And... yeah. yeah. Basically, uh, well, while this is all happening, Jesus is dying on the cross. But yeah, this little girl who's credited as girl angel, although she seemed a little bit kind of devilly. Oh no, well, I guess it could have been a test from God. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, was... I think I was actually thinking of a different scene. I'm sure. Really? Uh, well, it does credit on Wikipedia uh, Leo Marx as the voice of Satan. Okay. <laughs> Irvin Kirshner's in it, yeah, you were about to see Zebedee, is Irvin Kirshner who is a filmmaker, yeah, he appears in the film I'm, I'm sure, you, are you aware of Irvin Kirshner? He directed probably the most well-known of the Star Wars films, Empire Strikes Back, and he also directed Robocop 2 <laughs> which is actually, you know what, it's not as bad as you think it is, it's terrible but it's not as bad as you think it is it's got ideas, but they're just unexecuted, that's the problem with Robocop For a Scorsese film set outside new york he does seem to bring the whole crew along with him like he's got victor argo in there again he's got the great actor and avant-garde musician john lurie who did that awesome tv series fishing with john do you remember that yeah yeah yes yeah yeah, yeah fishing with John. So surreal. Fishing with John is great. We should do a fucking Fishing with John episode. Or yeah, something. I'd be up to that. Yes, yes, we are so going to do a Fishing with I John. I need to watch Fishing with John. I need to. Basically, John Lurie, the actor and avant-garde musician, just like goes out on fishing trips with like Tom Waits, Dennis Hopkins. 
there is. Until they die at the end of every episode. Yeah, they die at the end of at least one episode where him and yeah. him, Jim Jarmusch, I think, freeze to death. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and it's got this, like, over-the-top narration, which tries to make it sound as if amazing things are happening. Really, nothing's <laughs> happening. They're just, li- they're just sitting on a boat, really bored. Like, him and Tom Waits don't get on. They get, like, lost in fucking, like, a country somewhere. <laughs> but, but anyway, um, Scorsese also appears in The Last Temptation of Christ as Isaiah. Harry Dean Stanton appears as Saint Paul, yeah. as a fucking phony, as a gold bricker, and a fucking <laughs> fraud, basically. David Bowie appears as a very kind of effet, camp, kind of disinterested, sort of Pontius Pilate, which is a, a, yeah. a fun cameo. And Barbara Hershey is great as Mary Magdalene and provides a kind of emotional anchor to the film and is a great foil for Willem Dafoe's Jesus, who goes through all kinds of scenes of emotional turmoil and desperation in the course of the film. Yeah, it's certainly the most mature depiction of Christ. And it's a shame that it, it wasn't really well received by some Christians because... It did not make much money. I, like, if I was, like, Christian, I'd be quite proud of a film that's kind of got a very mature human take on Jesus. And it, it's, it's not, it's not offensive like at all, I wouldn't say. Not... Most of the attacks on this would purely because of, like, literally a 30-second sequence where Jesus this is having sex with oh, mary yeah. mandolin but that's yes. literally all that's all it was that's literally all i think the the, the controversy was over it. and again you watch the film and you're like really is, is that it yeah, is, 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 is this like why there was you know fundamentalist christians to me yeah, yeah. but there was actually <laughs> a terrorist attack on a theater in paris that was showing the film the uh oh, really? michel theater oh, dev- it's only muslims that can be terrorists so. yeah <laughs> a device <laughs> consisting of a charge of potassium chlorate triggered by a vial of sulfuric acid. The 13 people were injured, four of whom were severely burned, and the theatre was heavily damaged and reopened three years later. So, yeah, it was a very controversial film, and I think, yeah, really unfairly so. Uh, Scorsese is a Christian man and should be able to express his own interpretation of his faith. Absolutely. Which I think is a very powerful one, and Catholicism is an abiding theme throughout his filmography, so it would make sense he would want to tackle Christian themes more head-on in a film. I think it's a great film. and Music uh, by Peter Gabriel as yeah, well. Yeah, it's uh, a good film. Which yeah, that, yeah. that pounding closing tune. Quite where, iconic. Yeah, when Christ is just like, it is a complete... It's just like such a relieving, joyous ending yeah. to that film. It's quite incredible. It, um, it has, yes. It has such a Temptation, please watch it. and epic scope as well, which is remarkable because he was making it for, I think, a fraction of the budget that he was originally going to get, so he had to downsize his ambitions massively. I think he shot it all in Morocco, so yeah, yeah, he had to make do with kind of a very limited... Palestinians spoke with a New York accent. (laughs) 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 Well, yeah, when he's going through that kind of alternative reality of seeing himself when he's older with a family and when he's essentially on his deathbed and then Hyper Kaitel's Judas walks in and Jesus is literally there helpless on the floor. You know, he's incredibly old, can hardly move. And then you've got Judas there just going, you, you, you betrayed us. Yeah. You just like, you know, just like that's, you know, again, like 
was so shocking that he got a nomination for fucking Golden Raspberry. Like, people watch it. It does not give a terrible performance not in all, that. Not at all. Did, was it... On this subject, oh, sorry. Like, before moving on, I want to give an unorthodox book recommendation. Okay. Uh, yeah, the, the book's called Zealot, The Life and Times of Jesus of Nazareth, and it's by a guy called Reza Aslan. I don't know if either of you heard of this at all. I don't think I have. No, I can't say um, I have. No, I haven't. I read it sometime last year, and it was honestly the most interesting book I've ever read about Jesus. It, it does a lot of what The Last Temptation of Christ does, looking at him from a humanistic sort of point of view. And it really tries nice. to find, like, an actual historical Jesus that was a man and what he would have been like, as opposed to this deity that was made. The author, by the way, is Muslim. <laughs> I think he brings a really interesting perspective. Okay. And he paints Jesus as this revolutionary figure, somewhat somewhat socialistic in modern terms, but also... Uh, yeah, yeah, nice. As well. He's a man who wanted to cast out the priests from the temple and instate a nation of God in Israel. He was a religious extremist, a terrorist, you know? It's Yay. fascinating stuff, and if you enjoy The Last Temptation, I think you would appreciate it. Okay, so we'll leave you with that exciting cliffhanger until next week, or whenever we finish editing the rest of our fucking three-hour Martin Scorsese file. Thank you for listening to The Real Politic Podcast. Thanks to my co-hosts, Tom and Yair. And as ever, we'll play you out with some music from our friend Moses Longpiece. Bye. Long live the death cult of Tom's. It's tech, it's exciting, it's young people, it's crowdsourcing.